Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester Red, Red Podcast for the Manchester Streaming News. I'm today's host, George Smith. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined, as always, by our Chief United writer, Samuel Lutkert, and fellow United writer, Stephen Railson. How are we doing this Tuesday lunchtime, chaps? Very well, very well, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly a breeze working today compared to previous Tuesdays with, with inquests to file. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a much needed... Um, Change, change of scenery in that sense it's 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 a it's a good morning i think from a working perspective and also from united fans perspective absolutely good morning and yeah Stephen? george it's it's been an interesting 24 hours at least some positivity this morning at last some overdue positivity and of course i was at the protest last night and um, ahead of the game so it's been a bit of a whirlwind that was really a pleasure a pleasure to report on and a uh, good fun as well but i'm sure we're about to get into it Oh, definitely. It's certainly been a whirlwind of a 24 hours for all of us on the desk, but there is only one place to start, isn't there? Manchester United season finally up and running, getting that first win of the season on the board last night. And what fashion and what opponents as well to beat to do it in. Beating Liverpool by two goals to one, the first win of the Eric Ten Hag era. He made four changes after the Brentford nightmare just over a week ago in the hope of a response. And he most certainly got it, didn't he? Samuel, you were inside Old Trafford. The performance, the noise everything about the evening it was just you know a night to remember for united wasn't it the first one for a long long time it was a truly special night the the roar that greeted uh, diogo dallo's challenge first of all at nil nil on luis diaz was i mean i i got i got goosebumps hearing that i just thought crikey that's you don't hear the stadium like that very often and then of course when sancho scored you did wonder whether the roof was going to come off i've it's, it's difficult to think of a goal or a comp- compare decibel levels from goals that you've heard at Old Trafford before. But in recent times, I think it probably just about trumped McTominay's clincher in the in, in the March 2020 derby, which, of course, was the last uh, game United fans were able to attend um, in, in a capacity crowd until the pandemic swept across Europe. But I, I did have an inkling going into the game last night that I, I certainly didn't expect United to turn it on as, as much as they did. Or, or even win. But I, I kind of mean that maybe it was a good time to play Liverpool because of their injury issues, because Nunes was suspended, because they haven't looked like themselves in recent, um, in, in their first two games. So I, I wasn't actually anticipating another 5-0 or 4-0, which was the case last season, even though United obviously got battered very recently 4-0 by Brentford, just because there had to be a reaction and, and Liverpool have looked out of sorts and just looking at Liverpool's team sheet, the, the midfield three, objectively, that midfield three that they started against United was worse than United's, which is, is some going when Casemiro is still, of course, ineligible. He'll probably make his debut against Southampton this weekend. But Liverpool just don't look right at the moment. And United seized on that. They, they needed to show, as, as Ten Hag said on Friday, that, that fighting attitude from minute one. And they did that. They they got stuck in. I think Liverpool looked taken aback by United's intensity because United hardly ever play like that. They, they really did just channel an, an, an underdog spirit, which was always going to be needed if they were to get a positive result against a team who are legitimately better than them. Obviously, the table at the moment really places United above Liverpool. But some of, some of United's best times in Old Trafford it's been when they've been the underdog, the the one that old-time fans will always regale you about is, is Barcelona in 1984 when, <clears throat> excuse me, they were 2-0 down from the first leg and they beat the, the Barcelona of Maradona 
three three nil that night to go through to the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup. That that is seen as the zenith of, of an Old Trafford atmosphere. And when they beat Arsenal in two thousand four to win their uh, league unbeaten run of forty nine games, they they were certainly not the favourites going into that game. Uh, Arsenal were expected to at least maintain that unbeaten record and, and get to fifty. So when they're in that you know, siege mentality mode, which is is not it's not particularly often, but when they are, it does tend out tend to bring out the best uh, of the club, of the players, irrespective of generations. And those are just three examples, the Liverpool one being uh, the one last night. And it, it, it was impressive to watch. You, you sensed when Elanga hit the post, that was a massive opportunity. It was nil-nil. United were on top. He should have scored. Alisson was going one way, the ball went the other, and it still didn't go in. And you just wondered whether they'd let Liverpool off the hook there. And I think that was probably channeled into the roar that, that greeted Sancho's goal in that they were so delirious that United had gone 1-0 up, particularly after missing that chance. And the occasion as well lends itself to, to the decibel levels in that you, you had the protests going on outside. Uh, it was a mutinous atmosphere inside. There were lots of anti-glazer chanting. And of course, the opposition was, was Liverpool and United fans showed no hesitancy in um, baiting Liverpool fans or outlining their their hatred of, of Liverpool as well. So all of that and, and the dreadful start to the season was channeled into that one moment that um, that, that greeted Sancho's goal. And it, it was it was special. It was something to savour. Sometimes when you're in the press box and obviously you're pro- providing the service, you, you feel the need to like tweet goal or you know, that's um, to, to inform people. Sometimes. I think certainly when games are live on TV, it's a bit, it's a bit moot. So when that goal did go in, it was just a case of crikey, you one, you're taken aback by the roar, and then it was just you know, save the moment. I think Sky is saying at the moment they're uh, advertising that it's only live once, which is quite a good phrase because it does it does actually make you appreciate the moments when they do happen even more so, even though you can play replays and look at crowd footage. Uh, as, as much to your heart's content, but to actually experience it in that moment is is, is something special. And it, it was certainly, you could sense the importance of that goal. Um, everything, all, all the frustration was channeled into it. And it was a very bullish night from, from United. And as, as you said at the start, Ten Hag, every change, every big call he made, it was completely vindicated, which I'm sure we'll get onto in, in more specific terms, but yeah, they, they certainly exceeded everyone's expectations in, in winning that game, but also winning it in, in such a way that um, you know, was was the, the certainly the perfect response, I think, in terms of the attitude to the justified criticism that they have had at the start of this season, because although the criticism has been extremely harsh and has been relentless, it has been deserved when, when you lose... 4-0 at Brentford and play the way they did. They they absolutely deserve both barrels after that. And after this game, they deserve Im- immense praise and, and they're getting it today and they'll get it for the rest of the week, I would imagine. Definitely fully agree with everything you've said there, Samuel. And Stephen, obviously, Liverpool have been out of sorts so far. We know we've not seen the best of them. But this victory for United, it was no fluke. It was fully merited, fully deserved. And as Samuel said, Eric Ten Hag made some very brave calls and I'll admit, when I saw the team, I was quite taken aback by some of the decisions. But he, he stamped his authority on the team, showed what he wanted, and he got the answers, didn't he? 
a fantastic performance, fantastic night, as Samuel's just alluded to there. And that chair, I was walking back to the car, actually, from covering the protest when Sancho scored. And the, the noise of the chair, you could hear it from a mile away. And I checked my phone and went, bloody hell, God, no one was expecting that. Quickly jumped on Twitter, saw the goal, and what a composed finish that was. I obviously read Samuel's match report after the piece. I think Samuel uh, likened it to playing in five-a-side London, and that's exactly what it was like. It was just so easy, wasn't it? And George, you've just kind of said, look, Liverpool have had a poor start. I was surprised, to be fair, how poor they were. Um, Van Dijk for that goal, I think everyone saw the clip. Everyone was just kind of surprised what he was doing, wasn't he, with his hands behind his back. That was quite bizarre. And some really amateurish defending, really, from Van Dijk, and not what we've become. What, what we've expected from him across the last few seasons. He's just absolutely world-class. So that was unlike him, but th that's not to take away from United. They were outstanding on the night. The, the pressure, the, the press they were putting on the Liverpool, they beat them at their own game, really, didn't they? And the intensity was just remarkable. And as Samuel said, that was the perfect response. The, the two defeats were absolutely humiliating and just embarrassing against uh, Brighton and Brentford. And th that performance last weekend was probably the worst performance for 50 years. Um, so to respond like that against your, your biggest rivals was just, it was just fantastic to see and it, it was exactly what Ten Hag needed and it was great to see him so excitable on the touchline. He's not really a mad of many words, is he, in his press conferences and he, he was fist pumping down on the touchline. So, yeah, fantastic to see. It was. It was absolutely superb. Um, obviously, Jaden Sancho got a lot of the headlines for his performance at the top end of the pitch, but at the back, back end of the team, Lissandro Martinez, I mean, it was almost like it was a different player to what we saw against Brentford last weekend, Samuel fully justified his inclusion to keep his place in the team, worked perfectly with Rafael Varane and I think he scored a 9 out of 10 in your player ratings. He was absolutely superb, wasn't he? He was. I. It's difficult to think of a greater contrast in, in performances than from what he went through at Brentford, where it was just an absolute disaster from start, not, not to even finish quite because obviously he came off at half-time and then to have performed the way he did against Liverpool. I think Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher after the game last night, they did say that there will still be issues with him, which there are bound to be. Liverpool are not a team that are going to bombard the penalty area with with crosses. They that, that's not their style. They've they've got that um, they've got that in their locker if they if they need to resort to it. But Roberto Firmino is not he's, he's not a great goal scorer, and he's certainly not someone who, when you think of him as a striker, you don't you don't. It's not as if he. Uh, instills fear into into a centre back. Um, it's not as if going into the game you thought, oh, he's going to give Lissandra Martinez a, a tough ride, as you did fear would be the case with Ivan Tony going up against him at Brentford. And I think, I mean, I think I did the story last week on the Wednesday that Ten Hag was considering dropping Maguire, and the way it was phrased me at the time was a lot stronger than that. To to be honest, it, it did feel like even then that he was actually going to drop him, but. You're still, you know, as, as when you're writing that, you, you you're going to be hesitant about saying he's absolutely going to be dropping this player five days before a game. But at the time, I just thought, well, it's clearly going to be Martinez and Varane. So M Martinez will have had a clear indication uh, quite a while in advance that he was going to be starting this game, despite the setback at Brentford. Uh, Ten Hag uh, supported him when uh, when asked about Martinez at, at Carrington on Friday whether Martinez. Read or watched uh, his reply to that question, I don't know. But if he did, that probably would have been a confidence booster for him as well. And it was just it was it was kind of bodies on the line stuff at times, in in the sense of not that United were massively under the cosh, but his positioning was very good. I think the the whole back four in each of them 
looking at statistics this morning, they, they tallied two interceptions uh, each, which is a good sign, shows that their reading of the game is good. I think there was one instance early in the first half where Martinez uh, went to press the ball. Like he, he came out of the back line and that left Varane a bit exposed. So Varane had to drop back. Varane was quite quickly on his case after that, just trying to, you know, keep some orderly togetherness there so that, you know, they weren't at, they weren't looking like a zigzag in the back four there, or they certainly weren't at a, at a diagonal or anything like that. And Martinez seems to take that on board of with the, the Fernandez clearance that was that was going in, he, he didn't know anything about it, but he was in the right place. And if, if he's five foot nine, which obviously not if he's five foot nine, he is five foot nine, but putting him on the line is, is probably quite logical. Um it's it's still pretty remarkable how often teams don't bother with with a man on the post. And of course, as soon as the ball goes in by a post, the commentator's bound to say, Why haven't you got a man on, on the post there? But he was in the right place at the right time there. So although there was an element of luck there. He, he was where he needed to be or where he should be at a set piece. That's that's probably the best way to maximise him. And look, if, if Ten Hag wants to make his imprint on this team, he has to pick his players. I thought it was reassuring for United that he played all three summer signings last night. In, in the case of Martinez, that is very much his pick. He the, the recruitment department wanted Pau Torres. That's who they recommended. They were overruled in favour of the manager. So you have so Ten Hag really has to pick Martinez, and in terms of his partner, Rafael Varane is a better centre back than than Harry Maguire. The fact that Varane was on a, a personal fitness program in pre season might have helped him last night, and that he's he's not been rushed into the season. That said, he did did play in that friendly against Rabbi Cano uh, a week before the season started, and. I don't, I don't. I don't think it was strategic of Ten Hag to just hold Varane back. I think he really wanted to give Maguire the um, the responsibility to lead United into the season. And, and Maguire certainly wasn't the worst player on the pitch at Brentford or against Brighton. There were worse performers there, but his malaise goes back to pretty much the start of last season. And really, I think he had to be made an example of. He's he's captain, but he's only. It was the previous manager who made him captain quite quite prematurely. I think most people would agree. And he's he struggled to justify that status for, for, well, for almost the majority of his time as captain. It's been over two and a half years now. He doesn't have the full support of the dressing room. He doesn't have the full support of the fan base either. So it, it makes sense to make it Varane and Martinez, even though Maguire is the captain. And... That that's probably one of the most admirable things about Ten Hag last night. This curious power struggle between Maguire and Ronaldo. He rendered it moot by just taking both of them out of the team. He dropped Luke Shaw, which really should have happened in the first game of the season. Uh, Fred had to come out of that team, or there, were, there certainly had to be a change up in midfield. And although he had the inferior Anthony, if you like, in Alanga starting um, ahead of Marshall, because Marshall still wasn't quite fully fit to start or fit enough to start, it was going back to the preparation of pre-season of having a fluid front three. And that was, again, vindicated. And kudos to Ten Hag. He was, in the first game against Brighton, he wasn't proactive enough with his substitutions. The fact that Marshall for Elanga was a tactical substitution rather than enforced, reflected even better on him last night. So I thought Marshall was terrific in the second half. He was 
he absolutely had Van Dijk's number. And there aren't many strikers who've who've done that in the Premier League. What maybe it's prior to this season because Van Dijk has looked out of sorts. So just from back to back to front, every decision it seemed like Ten Hag made last night was was the correct call. And and some of them were genuinely brave decisions. Certainly were brave. As I said earlier on, I was very, very surprised with some of the decisions he made. But Stephen one of the biggest criticisms Ole Gunnar Solskjaer faced in the latter stage of his tenure was obviously certain players, regardless of how they performed, they, they kept their place in the team. Eric Ten has come in and he's shown the players exactly who's boss. If you don't pull your weight, you're not in the team. It's exactly what United have needed for several years in a manager, isn't it? Of course, and we saw that on uh, on Sunday when he brought the players into training and made them do that all that running, didn't we, after Brentford. And that was a, a good sign of things to come, I think, and Ten Hag really putting his print on that squad. And as Sam was just touched upon some huge decisions there, and it almost gambles in a sense, because if they don't come off, the pressure on Ten Hag is going to increase tenfold. Um, I think Luke Shaw, he was poor at, at Brentford and he, he was deservedly dropped. Malassi, as we've touched upon, he was fantastic. Great energy. And to do that in your Premier League debut, full debut, was, was outstanding. Um, he never really gave Liverpool's players a, a moment's rest. And he looks really one for the future. Really, I think United have found a really good left-back for a really good fee there as well, which just shows that players can be signed for reasonable fees and, and can perform. Um, but obviously the biggest call of the day was, was leaving Ronaldo on the bench, wasn't it? That was always going to be the biggest call. And I must admit, when I checked, when my data was finally working, when I was at the protest, I checked the lineup. I was shocked that Ronaldo didn't start. Um, but we've just talked about that interchangeable front three that excelled in pre-season, how fluid they were, how dangerous they looked. And would they be able to do that with Ronaldo in the team? I don't think so. Um, look, he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. And we all want him to stay at the club for that reason, because he is the closest thing uh, to a certainty as goals as you can get. However, that front three looked fantastic last night and obviously it improved when Martial came on. I agree with Samuel. I think he looked really good in the second half and I thought Ten Hag's quotes were interesting about Martial actually after the game. He talked about his quality centre-forward, talked about his, uh, his, his link play with Rashford and whatnot and Martial playing through the middle that allowed Rashford to perform, I think, down the left side. He's always going to be better on the left than he is up front and I think last season Rashford played down the right a bit, didn't he? And that was a bit counterproductive in him uh, we find in this form again so that was great to see Rashford down the left and Martial down the middle and I think that's something we should see more of and... Samuel obviously transfer window is still open there's ongoing speculation about Anthony at the minute from IX again if United were to bring him in based on the fact that Rashford Martial and Sancho all looked very good last night where do you think Ten Hag would go with his preferred front three taking Ronaldo out of the equation because obviously Rashford, as Stephen has just said, looks best on the left. Martial's look good down the middle. Sancho obviously wants to play week in, week out. And Anthony then obviously adds a little bit of fuel to the fire. So, it, you know, it generates quite a bit of competition if those three keep at their current levels, doesn't it? It would. The, the tactical change in getting Rashford back down the left, left-hand side was, was simple, obvious in some ways, but a masterstroke in that the last time they beat Liverpool in the league in March 2018, he absolutely rinsed Alexander-Arnold. And it doesn't take a lot for you know, some of our peers in the media, frankly, to fawn over Alexander-Arnold, even though for the entirety of his career, it's been abundantly clear that he cannot defend. Uh, he, In terms of attacking right-backs, he's what, what Danny Alves did in the late 2000s, early 2010s, in terms of raising the bar for right backs going forward alexander has raised it higher he's he's been he is an absolutely phenomenal right um attacking right back to the point that you'd probably 
play him in midfield if if you could. If you had him in another team, you'd find a way just to um, play him further forward. But defensively, he is dreadful. Um, I, I just don't think he can defend. And I mean, it was it was just a, it was such an obvious tactic and an easy one for them. And before the the first goal. There was the muck up where I think he lost the ball and he committed a foul on the edge of the area. And of course, both goals came came down his side. He looked quite haunted at times as well, almost as if he was having flashbacks of that time when Rashford did give him a, a chasing in, in 2018, even though it was what, nearly four and a half years ago now. And Rashford has played his best football of his career from, from the left-hand side. That's, that's indisputable. I think that looking at the first half last night, his energy at the tip of the arrow was was key, but he had two openings, I think, and he didn't quite, the execution of them, he, he didn't quite get right. I think Van Dijk got back to, to block one of them, but they were chances that I think a proper centre-forward, whether modern or old-fashioned, they would have got, they would have been working the goalkeeper at the very least or scoring, but you put him in that left-hand side, in that channel, and when he's fit and firing, that's that's where he's at his best. He's shown that in his career. He's not a young player anymore. Players can still reinvent themselves into their 30s, but whether Ten Hag does that with him, if Ronaldo goes or if Ronaldo's out of the picture, will remain to be seen because United, if, if Ronaldo does go, they, they have not got a consistent, dependable goal scorer there for certain. I mean, it might happen with Rashford or Martial, but they are players who've, broken the 20 goal barrier in a, in a season during their time at United but there's no guarantee that they would do that this season I think the chances are, are greater just because United are playing in the Europa League in, in that you, you come up against these um, lowly ranked sides this this fodder and there's an element of stats padding that you can that you can uh, you know achieve by by playing in those games but of course your bread and butter is is the Premier League and that's what those players will be mainly judged on. I think in the case of Anthony, he's he's a left-footed forward, and United, well, have they got one of them maybe in in, in Ahmad? Uh, does Tahith Chong really count? Probably not, even though he played far too much in pre-season. Uh, it's bizarre that he got the exposure that he did against Vallecano in the in the Old Trafford friendly, but it is a lopsided attack with. Elanga, Martial, Sancho and, and Rashford, all arguably better suited to the left-hand side. But Ten Hag is at least, you know, he's, he's been quite insistent with, with Sancho. You were seen as a right wing and we're going to play you on the right wing. If you need to switch to the left during a game, we'll do that. We'll, we'll get that um, your way. But for now, you've got to be on the right-hand side. And if they do, if they do proceed with, with another offer for Anthony, that the money that you're uh, signing him for, he's not being signed to strengthen the, the squad. And Ten Hag was quite clear about Lissandra Martinez with us on that when he said he was being signed to strengthen the team and that was someone who who cost 55, up, up to £55.3 million. So although Anthony is coming from you know, a, a lower, low down the food chain in the Eredivisie, his, his pedigree is, is pretty good. He's a Brazil international um you know being being schooled at Ajax does go a long way um, in, in certain leagues or for certain players and the, the, the cost of him and, and, and the, the, the fact that he's still in his early 20s as well he would be a long-term addition 
So it gives it would give Ten Hag competition. That's not bad at all. I don't think people should be looking at it if they do sign him as a dilemma at all because the, there is a real lack of quality and depth um, at United up front in particular. So they do need another option there, arguably need two options. But with Christian Eriksen coming in, they've got another playmaker uh, to play. And as last night showed, they can accommodate him and Bruno Fernandes in, in the same midfield three and... It's. I think it's, again, testament to one Ten Hag's work over the last week post-Brentford that not only did United win, but they won against Liverpool, despite the fact that Liverpool clearly have got a number of issues at the moment. You look at their defensive midfield and attacking departments. Last night, they had two, two key absences from each of those areas, Kanate and Matip, either of whom would have played next to Van Dijk uh, if they were available. Thiago uh, obviously was injured. Fabinho wasn't fit enough to start. So, in effect, he was an absence from the start. And, of course, Nunez and and Jota, who both have immense merit um, in that attack. So, as I said, I thought that it it did help that Liverpool aren't quite themselves at the moment and have got their issues. But it was still some some performance from United to inflict a first domestic defeat on Liverpool this, this calendar year, which certainly was not one of the things high up in my match piece at all, but it's it's still some going. It certainly is. It was a remarkable result. And just lastly on the game, before we move on to the protest that preceded the match, Stephen, obviously Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, both on the score sheet last night with the World Cup now only a few months away, obviously didn't get in Gareth Southgate's last squad. It's the perfect tonic for to give, for, to give them to the boost they need to, you know, chase that dream of boarding the plane to Qatar. That's the question, isn't it, George? Can they make that squad? It's always been the incentive this season coming in. Um, Rashford obviously had a poor season last season, and Sancho, I think, was a four goal Samuel um, across the season, perhaps five. I think actually, five. yeah, it was, it was his yeah. contribution was, was awful compared. You look at his statistics from Borussia Dortmund, you watch him each week, we all know what kind of player he is, what kind of player he can be, and we just didn't see that uh, last season, unfortunately. And, both players look devoid of confidence. Um, I don't obviously that's hard to get back when the team are struggling and, and playing so bad. But look, if if they can carry on performing like like last night, then I don't see any reason why they can't challenge for it at least. And that's what they will be aiming to do. Um, and we've discussed, I think Rashford playing on the left will be key to that because for me, he's always been best on the left. He's always been a genuine threat on that side. So if he can continue to put in those performances, then yeah, perhaps. Um Sancho, I have to say he's the more likely between the pair. To get in, uh, if he obviously continues to perform, he was quite held, held in high regard by Gareth Southgate, wasn't he? Um, but what one name you haven't mentioned there, George, is Luke Shaw. Um, I think he's got a obviously, I haven't exactly got particular strength at left back compared to right back in England. That's stacked up with plenty of options. But Luke Shaw, can he get back into this team if, if Malasia performs as he did, did last night? That's the question. Um, and there's always been fitness concerns having him about Shaw. and he was poor last season. I always make the statement, actually, that not last season, but the season before, Shaw was actually the best left-back in the world. And when I say that, people kind of, the eyebrows get raised. But when you consider the other left-backs in the world at that point, it's, yeah, he generally wasn't. He had an outstanding season. So, look, he can perform like that. It's just finding that consistency. And that's going to be key if he wants to get in that England squad. Yeah, big challenge ahead for the England um, members of the United squad. But moving away from the game last night, the protest, Stephen, you were out covering that for us before the game. Just paint a picture of what what you saw, what happened for everybody listening. 
So supporters were meeting at the Tallgate pub. Um, it was the 1958 supporters group who were organising the protests, obviously, against the Glazers. That was around 5.30. Um, I arrived at 5 o'clock and there were, I feel to say, already a few hundred fans gathering in the beer gardens. The atmosphere was really good at the start. Lots of chance, obviously, good spirits and whatnot. Um, I spoke to a few fans. And I struggled to find a fan that thought United were going to win, but I did find one. Well, that was great. Interesting. So he would have been delighted with his prediction. Um, but when I was actually in the pub, it did start to turn a little bit ugly. Actually, the fence um, that had been erected to kind of control numbers inside that got brought down. And I'm sure both of you guys have saw on social media as well. There was a coach that was passing and that had United children on that were going to the game, United supporting fans. And the minority, I must add, um, there's a few projectile objects that were thrown at the coach. But look, in general, I would say it was a peaceful protest. The majority was, you know, fantastic and they behaved very well. And the protest moved on. I think it was around seven o'clock, moved on to the street. And by that point, it started to dawn on us really the size of the protest. Um, a few flares going off, obviously, the chance that a heavy police presence. And we're moving down Tablot Road and I stood up onto the side of a wall and, and got, got a few shots with my with my camera. And to be fair, it was fantastic. It was an outstanding turnout and just some of the chance that were going on. Samuel said he got goosebumps, I think, when Sancho scored that goal. And I basically had goosebumps when they were singing because so I had to gather such a crowd like that and the unity after such you know a disappointing season and to kind of come behind one cause, that was great to see. Um, credit to the 1958, I wrote that in my piece today. Um, it was well organised. There was a few of the guys, a few of the protesters at the front, and that's not an easy job. Um, orchestrating 10,000 fans who have just had a few pints at the pub. And obviously the, the, that big line of people descended onto Old Trafford, the kind of the protest continued. It went under the Munich tunnel um, where the media entrance had to shut it down, obviously, to protect it. I had a word with Ian Wright, or I tried to have a word, as we've just discussed about before when on air. And he didn't want to talk to us, unfortunately. Uh, I did ask him for comment, but he just said, no, go on, move on. Um, but no, I think all in all, it was a, a generally really a protest to be proud of. Um, and I think it 100% contributed to the atmosphere inside the ground. I was talking to a few of the guys after on Twitter, a few people messaged us and kind of thanked us for the report and whatnot. And, they're saying there is a few more things in the pipeline to come. Obviously, the main objective is to remove the Glazers. We've saw Sergio Ratcliffe last week express his desire to, to buy the club, and that is the end game. Whether these protests will contribute to that remains to be seen, but I think it's a good thing. Um, it raises awareness, doesn't it? And it certainly did that last night. It certainly did, and obviously there's this ongoing interest from Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Samuel You've covered the club a long time. Do you think there'll ever come a point where the Glazers think enough is enough and they will put the club on the market? I think the it will, the day will eventually come. I, I, I hesitate to say it's imminent just because of their ego and there is a safe distance between them and, and the angry mob uh, at Old Trafford, which is the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, the, the Glazer family hardly ever go to games. It was a jolt to see... Avram Glazer and Edward Glazer at the Brighton game. Joel Glazer, who is the most involved of the siblings with the running of, of Manchester United, has not been to a game since April 2019. I know I've said it time and again in these podcasts, but it's something that's always worth mentioning because it shows how detached he is from what's going on at the club and that he's not he's not fronting up. He's not um, He's not speaking to staff. He's not speaking to employees. There's no real duty of care there. He's just leaving the running of the club to his acolytes and, and delegating it in that way. And that's not a way to run a football club. And I think that the protests, I mean, 
that there are factions in the fan base and that that there are some online who were talking about empty old trafford and that clearly wasn't the intention of the protests last night and you could argue well the protest has failed there and then in that if people are going inside the stadium and of course that's the best way to get the exposures during a live game but the counterpoint is you have lined the glazers wallets you've paid to go in there um some of the protesters i mean Stephen will be able to um, confirm but i suspect some of the protesters were wearing replica shirts and that was something that was pointed out to me by a fan when there were protests before the Brighton game the other week as well. And so it's almost this, you know, that there's, it's, it's almost a curious juxtaposition seeing people wearing a green and gold scarf, but underneath they've got a team viewer top on. And clearly some, some fans who may be casual fans, but they need educating, whereas the hardcore contingent who have followed the club for years and years and years and know what they're doing. Um, they've, they've got a greater understanding of, of what's needed. In the case of Jim Ratcliffe, I mean, I think one of the supporters said in an interview with the Times on Monday that he would be utopia, and that's 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 putting it mildly. Let's face it, he's a local boy from Fallowfield in Greater Manchester who's, who's done extremely well. His worth is, uh, I think, on the Sunday Times reach list earlier this year, it was 6.075 billion, which is a hell of a lot of money. But Manchester United is probably worth a minimum of 5 billion. There's no way he would invest that much capital into Manchester United. That He's, he's taking almost five-sixths of his fortune there. And his fortune has nosedived drastically, probably in the last few years, but that's probably because of the pandemic, whether that creeps up and gives him more leverage at a later point to go for United remains to be seen. He would have investors and backers, I'm sure, as well. I mean, he's not he's not daft. He'll have a very clear plan as to what he would want to do. It was quite significant that, that, that his spoke, the spokesman of Ineos last week issued that statement. They wouldn't have issued that statement if they didn't have most of their ducks in line. And Ratcliffe is a very driven man uh, he's, he's got interests in various sports already uh, nice have been transformed into champions league qualifiers uh, in, in sailing he's been funding ben ainsley's pursuit of the of the america's cup team sky and now uh, the ineos grenadiers in, in cycling and there was the marathon record uh, a few years ago when the marathon was broken in under two hours uh, that that ratcliffe funded as well so he, he is a very He's very passionate about sport and very driven, and he's a Boyhood United fan, and he would have the wealth to assemble a dream team. But just just doing research on Ratcliffe, what what does stand out is that is that people say that if he really wants something, he will eventually get it, and they talk about his powers of persuasion uh, to obtain those things. And I think those powers of persuasion will be almost as crucial as his immense wealth and. If, if he is to succeed in getting the Glazers to sell, because the Glazer family, they're able to pick up their semi-annual dividend. Manchester United are not the, the brand in inverted commas that they used to be. Uh, sponsors walked away from discussions over the Super League. The shirt sponsor revenue, uh, that, the, the worth of that is down from, from Chevrolet sponsorship. Other, sponsors, um, ha, ha, other sponsorships haven't been renewed. Some sponsorships have. But they're not they're not the lucrative cash cow that they used to be, but they are still very lucrative for their owners and their owners are profiting from it. 
So whilst they're profiting from it, and frankly, they're not in any immediate danger as well, and they don't feel unnerved by it, uh, I don't think they've got any real great inclination to sell up. But there might become there might come a point where it's just not worth their hassle anymore. It'd be interesting to see whether there's more scrutiny on them in the states now that Todd Burley's the owner of Chelsea. Um, that's that's four four of the biggest clubs in the Premier League under American ownership now. Would that heighten the scrutiny on the Glazers because they stick out like a sore thumb? Even though Burley's approach in the summer transfer window has been scattergun, to to put it mildly. So th- th- there there are so many factors at play. But as I've said before, I just don't think you can underestimate the the ego of the family. They they've leached off the club for nearly 17 and a half years and hopefully it won't be for another 17 and a half years but it still wouldn't surprise me if in years to come they are still the owners of Manchester United. George can I just add a caveat sorry to that sorry I meant to, just a warning I think it's always important to remember with takeovers and I was kind of discussing this yesterday with some of the fans in the pub is usually takeovers you don't hear about them or the, the potential buyers you don't hear about yeah. them until it actually happens don't you understand that goes through and so obviously Ratcliffe has been took on as this face and that's completely understandable because he's Manchester born and as Samuel says he's got deep pockets and he could fund the project but yeah that is something to remember isn't it going forward because Look, we saw Manchester City when their takeover went through. We saw Newcastle's takeover go through. You didn't hear about them. Chelsea's is an exception because of what was going on in Russia. But I think that's so important to remember. No, you're right, you're right Stephen. And also, um, when United were being linked with a Saudi Arabia takeover a few years ago, I didn't put, I, I barely gave it any coverage because it just, it wasn't credible enough. And I think someone broke the news that our takeover was going to happen on LinkedIn. so of course that trended on twitter and unfortunately someone on the desk says can you check this out and you you think christ this has come on linkedin but we're duty bound to check it out and i was told by someone that you know at the time that that in all probability or and i think he said probability but he meant this is what is is going down is that this this charlatan on linkedin was putting that out there to get the share price up because they had um, shares in the club or they were one of the stakeholders or there was a way of them benefiting from it um, in in a financial way. But supporters, obviously, any any inkling that United might get bought, they're going to lap it up, even if it's Elon Musk clearly being on a a wind-up on Twitter, they they will believe it and they'll start thinking that he's going to send Scott McTomney to Mars and things like this, which would... So I was reading last week, but it's it's felt it's felt quite satirical covering United in recent weeks. Hopefully that that period is at an end now that they're winning again. And you've not even mentioned Michael Knighton in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done well. I've done well there. Yeah, I certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> this sport will never cease to amaze us, will it? <laughs> but while Sir Jim Ratcliffe would tick a lot of boxes for United, one man that will be ticking a box, a big one, is Casemiro. That was announced just minutes before kickoff last night. Stephen, there's been a lot of debate about whether United have overpaid for a player of his age, but for what they've needed all summer and for quite a few years, it, he is one of the best in the business for what he does, isn't he? And it's outstanding signing, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and one that really needs to happen. I brought a lunch piece, I think, uh, I think it was last month I saw on Twitter, and I said the air is 20-35, United still haven't signed as a defensive midfielder, and Look, it was overdue. They've needed one for three seasons or so. The limitations of Fred and McTominay are well documented. They are not the answer. They haven't been for years. 
Um, look, the way they landed on Casemiro hasn't been ideal. Obviously, the, the club claimed that he's been on their shortlist for all summer. But I mean, if he had been, you'd you think they would have moved sooner for him, wouldn't you? Uh, I think that's just the reality of it. But look, an outstanding signing, and he's going to improve that side so much. I think if he sits in that midfield, and we, we've saw last night that uh, Fernandez and Ericsson can play together. So if you throw Casemiro in that equation, I think that's a really good midfield, a balanced midfield. And that midfield has lacked balance so much. I mean, it was so incohesive last season, so much space. So, you know, it was so easy to overwhelm in games. And I think a massive improvement on Frankie De Jong. I know they're completely different players, but I don't think United need a player like Frankie De Jong in that midfield. I think against teams like Manchester City and Liverpool, De Jong and Eriksen and Fernandes, that was never going to be the answer. Um, but you put Casemiro in and I think, yeah, stellar addition and a classy unveiling. But I wish it was in better circumstances, but, you know, it was part and parcel of it, wasn't it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it is a the sign they've needed all summer. We've, obviously, we've done De Jong to death, haven't we, about how it's this ball-play midfielder, but it was the defensive nous that they needed. Samuel, obviously, that takes the tally of new additions to four. Just over a week to go in the window. Obviously, we know that Anthony is somebody that continues to do the rounds and they're looking at. Just wondered what else do you think United could do before the window slams shut? Well, there, there'll be some outgoings. I think there have to be just because of the size of the squad and certain departments are bloated. There won't be as many outgoings as there need to be, probably because of, of injuries. Brandon Williams, Phil Jones, Axel Tunzibi, three players that United would have happily offloaded this summer. They've all picked up ill-timed injuries and I don't I don't think any of them are training properly with, with the first team at the moment. So... That's not great for, for them uh, for, on a personal level and also for the club. Sometimes you wonder whether it's, I mean, in the case of Jones to Nzibi, they've they've been so injury prone during their time at United. You wonder how much psychology comes into it as well, which is something that's been talked about in the past regarding players who are particularly prone to injury. With, with Jones, he will not be a United player this time next year. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that he is still a United player now. And the, the club said in the, uh, nearly two months ago now that he was following a tailored programme, but he's, I don't think he's even been on the grass kicking the ball. So he, he's, like this time last year, he is pretty much unsellable. And it's a shame because for most of last season, he was actually fit. So I don't know what's happened. Where it might, there must have been a setback there, but... It'd be interesting to know the full story of that, but they've, I mean, they've, they've been a hell of a lot more stories of, of note that have, have demanded our attention rather than Phil Jones. I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka could still go, even though United have let um, Ethan Laird go out on loan, who's obviously a right back. Um, in, in the case of Williams, I think that he's he's, he's quite content with with staying at United until January at least. Now, uh, even though earlier in the summer it appeared that his prospects were quite bleak. If he's back up to Diogo Dallo for a few months, that, that affords him opportunities to play, provided he's fit. Uh, Eric Bailly has, Marseille have been in discussions to sign him. That was on a loan with a view to a permanent move uh, when I wrote about it last week. Those negotiations can always change, but Bailly's fifth choice centre-back at best now at United and again, it's he's another player that it beggars belief that he's still at the club. He, he could have been sold or released by this point, going off his previous deal. But of course, the, the bright sparks at the club decided to give him a new contract, not even 18 months ago. And he played only seven times last season. Um, 
it's it's that time of year now where players either sit tight or they get itchy feet. This time last year, I think Donny van der Beek started to get itchy feet and was game for a loan move to Everton that collapsed because Oli Kanasowski said he wanted to keep him and that he'd get his chance. And of course, he, although he did keep him, he certainly didn't give him a chance. And, and van der Beek has not, has not benefited from, from Ten Hag coming in. The World Cup is just around the corner. There's only one more international squad get together for, for, for all the participating nations. So how much does he want it? Is, is he going to you know, force through a move to try and you know, get back into, into the Netherlands fold? Because I don't think he's even actually been in the squad since Lou van Gaal replaced Frank de Boer as coach last year. And he's almost certainly not going to be in the next squad because I don't think there are going to be many opportunities for him to play before that announcement takes place in what probably just 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 under a month's time, I'd imagine. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if Van der Beek was to knock on Ten Hag's door and and seek clarification. But as Ten Hag has said already, it's it's an unusual season. It's it's a season where some players you hope for their sake that they won't, but some players could actually play over seventy games for for club and country this season due to the World Cup and, and various internationals on top of club commitments as well. And United do need a large, a larger squad than usual. Um, it's it's still far too bloated in certain areas, so certain areas need to be streamlined. But where it's been some, such a ramshackle summer, I think it's safe to say that that's not going to be addressed anytime soon. And they'll have to they'll have to get down to to sorting that. Maybe maybe next summer, which isn't ideal. But again, it's a reflection of the the disarray the club have, have been in this year and, and the Liverpool result doesn't change that at all. I mean, Monday night was tremendous, but obviously the running of the club hasn't been cured with one spirited and uplifting 2-1 win over Liverpool. Um, I think I think Fakunda Palestri is probably going to still be injured come the deadline day, so it looks like he'll remain in situ at, at United, which might afford him the odd opportunity um he's he's still not actually made his debut for the club officially which is quite remarkable given that he's been there for nearly two years and he, he cost 10 million euros uh, from Peñarol when he signed on deadline day i would imagine that ahmad has, has got to go out on loan because his, his playing prospects look look rather bleak as well um he's, he's not getting a look in whatsoever he's been playing the behind closed doors games and doing quite well but Obviously, Alejandro Garnacho has been ahead of him on the bench um, in games when you could make the argument it should be Ahmad because he's a, he's a left-footed forward, he's a couple of years older, and there was a big investment in him uh, two years ago when he was signed from Atalanta, but you know, Ten Hag is making his call and, and Garnacho is is in the squad on merit after doing well in the, the Vallecano friendly. So... There are a number of players, I mean, probably upwards of half a dozen players who should be on, on the lookout for a move between now and 11pm next Thursday. But I think the one of the biggest failings of United summer is that I think they are going to end it without selling a single player from the squad last season, which is any other club that had a season like last season that would be extraordinary. But because it's Man United and because they are hopeless, uh, really, at selling players, it's it's not a surprise. But that's that's something that hasn't got so much attention so far because it's been an absolutely chaotic and relentless summer uh, where there's been so much to cover with a new manager coming in and the star player wanting out and you know, is the captain getting dropped now. 
and, and other signings, are they coming, are they not coming, what's going on with Dion? But in terms of the outgoings, to only sell Andreas Pereira, and that, that's only because he's been on loan in, in Italy and, and Brazil in the last couple of years, that, that's, that's, a, a, that's a massive failing in itself, which arguably should, should see people um, be, be jettisoned from, from the club. Definitely, and uh, it's certainly a shame that we've had to end it on a negative note because it's been probably the most positive episode we've ever done. I know. I've always, got to, I've always got to offer some perspective, <laughs> but you, you, teed, you teed me up for that one. But yeah, ab- absolutely. If you people need only look at the website last night or, or today to see the uh, relentless positivity from United beating Liverpool, as, as it should be. Very much so. And on that uh, on that note, we will bring time on today's Manchester's Red podcast. And you can continue to keep right on top of the very latest United news by visiting the MEN website ahead of Saturday's trip to Southampton. Once again, thank you ever so much for listening. And please make sure to subscribe and leave a like if you haven't already. And we'll see you again very, very soon.